Welcome to episode two of Criterion on the Couch, a podcast from two amateur film buffs as they make their way through the vast Criterion collection, one title at a time, all from the comfort of the couch. We record each episode immediately after we watch each film. I'm Adam Yurk, along with Jim Massessa. And today we're talking about The Big Chill. Jim's going to take us away with a synopsis. Uh, The Big Chill came out in 1983. The synopsis from the Criterion website reads, After the shocking suicide of their friend, a group of 30-somethings reunite for his funeral and end up spending the weekend together, reminiscing about their shared past as children of the 60s and confronting the uncertainty of their lives as adults of the 80s. Poignant and warmly humorous in equal measure, this baby boomer milestone made a star of writer-director Lawrence Kasdan and is perhaps the decade's defining ensemble film, featuring memorable performances by Tom Berenger, Glenn Close... My mic just jumped a little there. That's crazy. Tom Berenger, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, Kevin Kline, Mary Kay Place, or Mary Kay Place, Meg Tilly, and Joe Beth Williams... And with its playlist of 60s rock and R&B hits, The Big Chill all but invented the consummately curated soundtrack. I made it through that. Yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty good. Perfectly. Flawless. Almost, yeah. Um, this is the color version of the movie. I assume there was no black and white. Um, it's 105 minutes long, 1.85 to 1 aspect ratio. And if you're following along, this is Criterion Spine number 720. And did you say that it was from 1983? I believe I did in the beginning. Oh, I must have missed that. 1983. And it shows. Does it show? Really? Uh, In what way? So as we are sitting here recording, the uh, DVD menu is looping through, you know, clips of the movie. You can't tell me looking at those outfits, this is not an early 80s movie. Yeah, no, I got it. There were a lot of turtlenecks in this movie. (laughs) There were a lot of turtlenecks. Polo shirts worn under sweatshirts. Yes. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in like, not an amusing way. Like, that was the fashion. I don't know. This this is a dated movie, I would say. Yeah, I I would agree. I think what's interesting, though, is that uh, there's not a single track in terms of uh, music that... I, don't, I think every 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 track from that soundtrack is from the '60s. Right. Uh, I think and obviously that's the big thing with this film is that it's probably the quintessential, um, you know, uh, music movie. Uh, it might have been really the first movie that just you know used music in in, in the way that they do. Uh, I would say a huge majority of this film is music montages. Right. There's no like orchestral soundtrack. It's all actual songs that you've exactly. heard before. Yeah. Um, I was starting to ask you this before we recorded, but we never really finished it. Uh, it says on the website that this is a newly restored 4K digital film transfer, and I believe we are watching the 4K version. Uh, well, no, well, we're watching a Blu-ray version on a 4K TV. Right. So it's not like the Criterion Collection hasn't, uh, as of yet, released any movies on a 4K Blu-ray right. disc. I probably, uh, I mean, that they could pro- potentially do that, but I would feel like. They're restoring all the film in 4K. Okay. So as you would see, there's a lot of regular Blu-rays uh, that get released of older films that um, have a 4K transfer or were mastered in 4K or mastered in 2K or something like that. Uh, but yeah, it's not a 4K. I mean, it still looks... There was a scene uh, towards the beginning of the movie where somebody's looking out over like a field. And I just remember thinking when I saw that, like, this is really, really clear. Uh I, it just surprised me. It amazes me that you can get such a clear picture from a film that is, what is this, like 34 years old now? Um, I don't know. It look good. Look good. There was a, a point where I saw a fly, uh, not to jump ahead, during the wake scene, a fly mm-hmm. flew behind two of the actors, and I could tell that it was there. I don't think you would have huh. spot that on the film. No, I, you know, I didn't notice that. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Huh. Uh, so you've seen this film before correct? yeah i've seen it this many times time. it's, uh, it's actually a favorite movie of mine i think mostly because of the um of the soundtrack i actually uh <laughs> i own uh the uh original vinyl versions of the original soundtrack and then more songs from the original soundtrack of the big chill because uh, it is a great uh, it is a great soundtrack you can pretty much just put the soundtrack on at a party and it's a good kind of good way to clear out the party 
So uh, I mean, you know. if people who come to your party are lame, but I, I feel I no, mean, there's some good I, songs. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. I watched this movie and I, I, I definitely grew up on this music. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my dad is definitely uh, was really into uh, pretty much every band that. Uh, you would have uh, seen on the soundtrack. So a lot of CCR. So first, yeah, yeah, very much huge CCR and um, Smokey Robinson, Smokey Robinson, uh, the band um, Temptations, uh, Three Dog Night. Yeah, I, I so growing up, I heard a lot of this music. So the first time I saw this movie, I, I recognized I knew every single song that was in it. So I think that kind of at least drew me into it a little bit more than mm-hmm. maybe other people who aren't as familiar. I feel like the songs that are in here are pretty popular. For the most part, everyone maybe would have at least heard yeah. most of the songs. You might not know who's, who, who the artist is, but I feel like you would have you would know the song. Um, and really, they, they really add, if you listen to the lyrics, what the song is, for the most part, they kinda, they're kind of they really well matched to certain right. scenes. I think... Um, you know, it was the very first song. Um, well, this, I mean, I think what's what's kind of actually really cool with the with the movie is that uh, the movie opens with no music, but it opens with um, uh, Kevin Klein, Harold, who, who plays Harold. Um, he's in the bathtub with his son, and his son is singing um, "Joy Jeremiah. to the World." Yep, "Joy to the World," and singing the opening lines, uh, and that's what the move the film ends with that song playing. I think that was kind of uh, appropriate with bookending. Yep, book bookending the film that way. Um, Speaking of bookending. Bookends, a song by Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, Did not appear in this film. No. However, Simon and Garfunkel also sing America, I believe the title is. Uh, where they Another song that wasn't in this Where they mention uh, <laughs> Saginaw Island, which was mentioned in this movie. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, Saginaw. So, be... full circle. I guess. <laughs> if you want to consider that full circle. <laughs> I felt like that was a really long way to reference something that was like a really... I'm just saying, I noticed that, so it all comes well, around. Well, hey, that's... There you go. <clears throat> uh, yeah, no, I think, I mean, especially from the very beginning, the opening, um, when you find out, I, we assume Glenn Close gets the phone call, and that's her finding out that Alex had committed suicide, um, that you could then go and you see every single... The, intro, the film introduces us to every cast member, um, yes. every, every main character that we're going to see. As they're getting ready to go to the funeral, I guess? Yeah, or re- kind of getting that reaction. They're like kind of dealing with their grief in a way. Um, but like getting and, dressed and like packing right. and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's interesting because the song, um, I, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, is playing. So it's kind of an interesting ah, thing to see that they're, I didn't catch how they maybe, um, you right. know, heard about the suicide in, mm-hmm. in that way. It's kind of an interesting, uh, that was kind of cool. Yeah, you know, uh, during that scene, they're, you know, they're kind of, they're showing, like, bits and pieces of people. You don't get, like, full shots. Sometimes it's, like, an arm, a head. Uh, oh, well, so that's that's Alex. Yeah. <laughs> but there were there were some other scenes of people, um, other characters, I, I, I swear there were, cut in there. Because when they jumped to the ones of Alex, I thought it was, at first I thought one was Sam. It was like a somebody was t- tightening a tie. Yeah, um, I think that. I mean, I think that's that's a kind of a really a cool way that they did that to kind of cut back and forth, and you're kind of looking at it and wondering. And it's really once you see the, um, you know, because you see his hair being brushed, you see the buttons being done, the polish on the shoes. But it's kind of weird because it, you can tell that it's someone else's hands doing all of that. Yeah, it was a woman's hand tightening the tie. Right, right. Um, that that's I picked up on that, and then when they showed the wrist. It was kind of a quick shot, and I didn't know, oh, is, does somebody have a tattoo on their wrist? Like, are we supposed to remember that? I didn't realize it was stitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until um, later on, they mentioned the suicide. I don't know if that's uh, jumping ahead too much. <clears throat> no, 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 no. All right. No, no, no. I, I think uh, the funeral scene is really good, too. I think it's uh, – uh, what, what I do think is interesting is it's not really – you don't really ever see or hear from his parents. They're there because Glenn Close is sitting next to who obviously is his mom. Mm. Um, but you don't ever really see or hear them say anything. Obviously, this film's about the friends and right. um, having gone to, to college together and, and such. So The, the uh, funeral is so early in the movie. You don't know any of the other characters yet. And you can see they're reacting. Um, you know, a lot of the women were crying. Some of the guys looked a little shaken up some did not um but i you have as a viewer have no attachment to these characters yet so at least for me my first time watching i don't know who any of these characters are so i have maybe if you've watched it once already and now you see the funeral now it can you can relate a little more but 
No, I don't. I don't know that. I mean, I, no, I would agree. I think the, the the opening montage, like I said, does a does a decent job of kind of introducing us to everybody. In a way, kind of shows that Tom Berenger's character is famous. He's a TV star, um, and we kind of get that, uh, you know, from from a little bit of what who everybody is at the very beginning. Uh, and I think that's what the music montages do well in this film is it kind of gives us an opportunity to. They're, they're like introducing us to the characters as the film goes on and kind of gives them an opportunity because this film is really I mean it could really be a play I mean we just our first episode we we did 12 angry men and it's 12 guys sitting in a room talking the entire film and for the most part this is a movie of uh, you know friends just sitting around in a house or in small scenes with no orchestra or anything going and they're just talking Um, and then to have these montages which Looking at looking at this film now, having you know seen all the movies that we've seen up up until this point in our lives, the, the the music montage can come off as a very cheesy device that you see at the beginning of a film or in the middle of a film. But this is like what this film is. It's it's yeah. music montage after music montage, and it, it's uh, and they it's used in a, such a way uh, that I think works. That necessarily wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily be able to pull this off yeah, in another movie. Most of the time, when we as a viewer are hearing the song, the characters are hearing that song too. It's playing on a stereo, like in the car, or actually on their record player. So it's not just that it's not just that music is thrown on top of the movie. It is a part of the movie. Right. Exactly. I think you see. Um, uh, Kevin Klein when they're doing the uh, when they're cleaning up dinner, yep, um, and he puts on the record and he like kisses the album cover, right, and sort right. of, and and he makes that statement I think when um, Jeff Goldblum says, oh, you know, don't you have any other music? And, any music he, from this century? Yeah, any music from this century? And he's like, there's no other music, right. um, you know, not in this house. Uh, and I think it's kind of funny. It just kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, just of my dad. We would always like sit in the car and. Or be in the car and he would a song would come on and he would be like this is from 1964 and i was and he would just tell this like go on to a story about how old he was when a song came out or i think uh, uh it just kind of always reminds me of that but that's sort of the thing where it was just that music playing all the time and to the point where you can see that that's that's what he does do because his little kid is singing you know th- uh, three dog night in the back oh, yeah, at the very beginning true. Uh, so and to have a little kid who he looks like he's three or four to and he knew all the and words. he knew all the yeah. words to <laughs> to joy to the world which what's pretty good. Uh, uh, I did make a note of that funeral scene that Kevin Klein is not a good crier. No, just like to point no. that out. Yeah, he's not. I couldn't tell if like he was crying badly as like an actor or if we were supposed to think his character was faking crying at the funeral. <laughs> No, he's just, he's just not very good at crying. I, 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 yeah, I just didn't. I didn't buy that. I don't can't. I can't think of another movie I've seen with him in which he's cried. I have. Uh, Life as a house. Oh yeah, that's with, a good um, movie. Uh, Darth H- Vader, Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's a really good movie. It is pretty good. One of the few movies that got me a little choked up because that father son crying thing. I don't know. That always kind of gets me. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's a good movie. That's a really good film. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I'll have to find that. That's one of those movies that was like a good movie and then it never shows up anywhere. Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, like you never see it. I can it let anywhere. you borrow that. <laughs> you own it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to put it on my list. Uh, and and a lot, going along with the music and the funeral scene, I think the first real song, maybe after Heard It Through the Grapevine, while the funeral is ending, uh, I think it's Karen. Yes, Karen. Yeah, gets, she plays. gets up and plays the organ and she's playing can't always get what you want yeah uh and then the it progresses from her playing it in the organ to the actual song right uh as they're leaving the funeral and i guess they're yeah they're leaving the service going to the cemetery yeah 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 it's, a, so it's just, the funeral is leaving so yeah, they're yeah, yeah. um I, I yeah no i think that's again i think it's it's almost a little too on the nose. It's funny they said that he's going to play as the reverend or pastor, whatever he is, uh, saying like, oh, you know, a friend's going to play Alex's favorite song and it's You Can't Always Get What You Want, which kind of sums up the movie in in and of itself. It's just weird hearing it played on a church organ. In a ch- yeah. It reminded me of a old Simpsons episode where Bart tricks the uh, church into playing uh, Anagata Davida. Um, <laughs> 
because he wrote it out in the Garden of Eden. They're like, oh, look at this lovely song in the Garden of Eden. And the organist yeah. like has a heart attack playing it. <laughs> Good song. Uh, yeah. And I, I think so when they're going from the church to the actual funeral, I think that's the first time we actually hear that Alex committed suicide. There were two characters speaking in the car. I think Chloe and not Sam. Nick, William Nick. Hurt's character. Yeah. Somebody makes like a, a comment out that like kind of backhanded comment. Um, well, yeah. Uh, well, Megan, um, Nick are in the car together and that's when um, uh, Mary Kate plays his character and um, she says, um, what did she say? She says uh, like, oh, I, last time I talked to him, I had an argument and Nick says, oh, maybe, maybe that's why he killed himself. Uh, right, and then right. it cuts back to them and he asked what the argument about and it was like oh she said oh well, you're, you're to him that he was wasting his life um i think he was supposed to be kidding when he said he, that. i think he was too i but think it's so I, dry i think that was kind of trying to hint at the friendship that they that they've all had i think you kind of get that that they were really good friends right. um and you know that they you know had that ability to make that kind of wry humor to each other um which is interesting because i think the whole idea of the comp the the funeral funeral really sets up the theme of this film, which is, uh, you know, you can't always get what you want, and what the pastor says is like, where did the hope go? And mm. I think that's sort of the idea. Is here they they talk about this all the time. It, it's these friends who they went to the University of Michigan. They um you know they were really good friends in college. Had all these dreams. I think yeah. Uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character, uh, Michael, says at one point when they're uh, Harold, he and Harold are walking in the field in the rain, he's like, oh, remember we were going to buy that land in Saginaw, the thing you reference you are talking about earlier. And uh, he's like, Why, whatever happened with that? He's like, oh, we didn't have any money. And I, I, but it, you, could, it, you could tell it's those things you have with friends when you're younger, when you have these dreams and these big, big dreams that you think you're going to be able to do. And, you know, I mean, realistically, life comes along and you, and you don't have, uh, you know, you don't have the ability to actually fulfill those dreams, which I think is, is really interesting. Yeah, you're uh, you're right on about the buying the land. Um, and they actually work that into the movie a little later on um, and go out to a piece of land in an old house that Alex had bought. Bought? I assume he bought. I, I don't I think know if they it, say I think, that. I think that belonged to Harold. Uh, I don't know if that was... He was, was. just giving it to Alex because they said I, he was fixing it up. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know how clear that was. Um, I was a little confused on the whole living situation, actually. So yeah, the, it's, the it's, house that we're watching is Harold's house. It's Harold's summer house. So in the funeral, he does say that. He said, oh, Alex was staying down here at the summer house. We were up at the other place. So, and Harold is married to Sarah, so it's Kevin Klein and Glenn Close. Correct. Um, and he runs a s- s- running shop, sports Yeah, it looks store. Like, he, uh, like a running store. Apparently, he does very well off. If that's, that is his summer house, that was like a million dollar house. Well, it's, I mean, it, uh, also, he is from the South, so I would assume in some cases that, you know, it might have been in his family, that it might have, he might have had family money. Still a million dollar house, right? Well, that was like a three that. story wraparound porch. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, they had bedrooms for all of those he did, people. He did talk about, you know, his, his company was public. He had a public company because he talked about buying stock in it. Uh, right, that's and also true. doing some, a little bit of insider trading going on. But, uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. so I would, yeah, I would assume he's. Right on really well for himself. I think it's one of these things that always kind of makes me laugh with with movies is that um, uh, you look you look at this movie and none of these people are really in a place where fight like from a financial standpoint that they're suffering. Uh, maybe William Hurt's character, but he's driving a beaten down Porsche, so it's almost as though. Uh, he, I think he was doing he that. fine. He was like a uh, he was a radio a radio psychologist, psychologist and right. he had a whole like brick of cocaine taped to his car. Yeah, like well, he said he's a, basically a drug dealer yeah, at this point. So he had money. I, yeah, I just think it's funny you watch, like it, that. I, I don't know. I think it also kind of comments too on nowadays how you hear this whole idea of millennials and how uh, you know that they that they've had this idea of success in their mind and they uh, have the job or whatever and they have money, but it doesn't actually, 
they're not really sure what it was that they thought success was, and now they're at like this depressed state and um, and things. So I think, I, but it just kind of shows in this movie that it's again one of those things that has never really changed. Here are all these successful people. Uh, you know, by any means, but like outside looking in, they're very successful. But then you you get down to the deep of it. You have a TV star who kind of hates himself. He doesn't really enjoy what he's doing, which right. now I feel like is a stereotype of a character of a guy who's on a a popular TV show. He's essentially Magnum PI, JT Lancer, JT Lancer, and he just does not like the role that he's in because he knows it's just a you know a very superficial show. Um, you have Jeff Goldblum character Michael who's a writer for People magazine and he's writing these trashy stories but yet really he wants to do something more and be a, a good writer and I don't know what he goes back to where he's reading that article that he wrote uh, for the for the paper in Michigan and kind of admiring how he used to write compared right. to what he does now and even Kevin Klein's character who's uh, you know he has running the store and now it's like oh well someone's gonna buy my company now you know what am I gonna do and uh uh, and uh, Karen is uh, was a she talks about how she gave up her writing and to, to basically be a housewife and she's obviously not content with that so uh, and, and even Meg is talking about how she was uh, went in and wanted to be this she, I think she was a defend, defender public defender or right. prosecutor and in then she's like ah, like I was ended up yeah in Philadelphia and she was uh, in her own words you know defending all these scumbags and then went and worked at a, a real estate uh, law firm so I felt like a lot of them did not seem unhappy at least in the first half of the movie um, maybe the final night it really comes out how miserable a lot of them seem to be that's when they start kind of arguing with each other um, but uh, Chloe I believe somebody asks her a question about being happy and she says I don't I don't know what do happy people look like yeah she's I haven't met I haven't met that many happy people in my life. Um, how do they act? And 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 then I think I think it's before or after that William Hurt's character Nick says, you know, oh he's getting in an argument with Tom Berenger's uh, character Sam and is saying uh, like you know you don't know me you we knew each other a long time ago right. for a short while but that's it and it is you know if you think about it. They maybe were friends for for four years, maybe saw each other a year or two after they graduated from college. But for all intents and purposes, purposes, they've gone their separate ways and they haven't seen each other. Like he's talked about how I think there's one line in the film how he says, oh, Alex, someone says Alex brought us together and then he brings us together again. Hmm. So it's sort of that idea that, you know, we don't we never see Alex. Right. We never see him in the movie. but it's that idea that he was the one who kind of brought all these different personalities together and and they became friends and now his death kind of is bringing them all back together. And we, at the end of the movie, he, they're all kind of trading addresses and wanting to stay in touch. Um, it, would be, it would have been interesting. It would be interesting to see if almost to kind of revisit these characters all these years later to see where they had gone you know what I mean like because I think it's part of the movie where it ends and you're like oh well it ends on this kind of happy note where everyone's going to stay in touch it is kind of abrupt the ending I I didn't realize it was over like the credits started rolling I'm like yeah wait that's it they're all sitting around the table still like mid conversation uh I don't, I don't know yeah I mean I don't know I, I they're like all about place. to leave for the airport so I don't know how else they could have ended the movie honestly I think that's the whole point it's kind of that oh well they all Maybe their issues have were reconciled in, in some ways. I think at least the way they're kind of like, oh, you know, Meg, um, which we haven't even talked about yet, which I think is kind of one of the most interesting plot lines of plot. the of the yeah side plot of the movie is uh, Meg wanting to have a child and kind of going around and she said, oh, these guys are the best guys of uh, of my life, and she wants to have one of them father her child because of all the dating issues that she's had right. where, in the areas that she's lived, um, and William Hurt's character can't because he was injured in vietnam and i don't and he, she goes to tom berenger and he he doesn't want to really have anything to do with it uh, she doesn't go to jeff uh, to michael to jeff Goldblum's character and then he finds out about it and thinks he's chopped liver and is trying to like impress her and uh i no, i think like feigningly doing it because i think he knows it's, he doesn't really have a shot but um and even what's, what i think is a really interesting part of the movie and to realize that this movie was shot in probably 81 or 82 mm-hmm. having come out in 83 uh, Glenn Close's reaction to her wanting to have a kid because they're, they're what probably in their late 30s early 40s uh, at this point and uh, 
her saying, oh, I'm just going to have a kid. Like, I'm just going to do it. And Glenn Close is like, what do you mean? Like, it was very judgy and kind of, uh, I think, doubting her and I think surprised. Nowadays, I think someone would say that and we'd be like, oh, cool. Like, no big deal. But in, you know, 30 plus years ago, I, I, that was, a, I think, a pretty big deal to have a woman say that they wanted to just have a kid on their on their own. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I, I did notice that she did seem a little upset. I didn't quite pick up on the reason why, like... Was it her age? Like, was it because she was single? I don't know. I think it had to do with her age. I mean, I at this point, that's why I said I think they're all in their late 30s, early 40s by the time this movie would have right. aired. Um, so I think that's the idea is that she's like, oh, her clock's ticking. So she needs to, you know, she needs to move forward. So and then <laughs> I'm kind of like and almost Glenn Close's sort of character, Sarah's almost She's kind of offended when she, he's like, oh, what do you mean? Not Harold? And I think it's right. kind of odd. Oh, and then you don't want to have a baby with my husband. Yeah. And I think I'm there's offended. there is that moment when Meg is talking on the phone with one of their children and you it, the camera just zooms on Glenn Close. Glenn Close. And you can I mean, that's like that. She made the decision. She's OK with it. So she is watching her friend talk to her children on the phone. Mm hmm. And the song, When a Man Loves a Woman, starts yeah. playing. It was such a weird shot. I'm like, does, is Glenn Close falling in love with her? Like, what is happening here? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's the moment she realizes, oh, I should have her sleep with my husband. Well, yeah. I mean, it is kind of it's odd. Weird... I think it's not more that realization. It's the realization. Like, hearing her talk to her child, I think she kind of came to the realization that, oh, yeah, you know what? She she would make a really good mother. And yeah, that's... let's try to give... and. You talk I, on the phone with a child, you know how to raise a kid, right? That's that's all it takes. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, that's probably all it does really take. Think about it. Yeah, probably. Know? I don't have kids, but that sounds either, like so, yeah, all it, there is to it. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, it's it's got all that has to be to it. What did you think about um, the character of Chloe, whom she was the girl, the woman that Alex was seeing when he died, and as far as I can tell, none of the none of the other friends have met her before. Right. Uh, well, no. Uh, uh, Kevin Klein and well, the other friends. But yeah. Okay. So Sarah yeah. and Harold. Have she was she was living there. with Kevin Klein and Glenn right, Close's right, right. character, um, Michael and Sarah. Not Michael. Uh, she was living with Sarah and Harold. Harold. Yeah. Yeah. Michael is the other guy. Correct. Um, but it seemed like they everybody just gets along as if you know these people have known each other for at least a decade or more and then she's just there but kind of instantly part of the group um i think right at the funeral she seemed a little on the outside but as soon as they're all back at the house to me it, it just you know she was just part of the group yeah she was i i, I wonder <laughs> i mean the, the amount of uh, the amount of drugs going around was you a lot do of wonder drugs. there was uh, i you wonder like how how often she was really sober because they talked about her being high at the funeral uh, and some of her weird comments yes. just out of nowhere she would say something kind of just really strange or she would just laugh at something that wasn't really funny I think like um, Nick's uh, William Hurt's characters when he says uh, they're having that tense and Glenn Close is kind of crying at dinner and, and he's like oh what would Alex say and it would be what's for dessert and she just busts up laughing and everyone else doesn't really find it funny right. um, which actually reminds me of another good point not to sidetrack from talking about Chloe but uh, I think it's interesting that Glenn Close's character is the only one that you see cry over Alex's death uh, nobody cries at the funeral itself Kevin Klein starts crying while he's giving his eulogy okay yeah okay you're right yeah so not the only but throughout the film she's crying in the shower she's crying at the dinner table right uh, you know I and and you come to find out she had an affair with Alex, so you wonder. Uh, well, obviously you don't wonder, but you know that she definitely had a much deeper relationship with him than everybody else did. And I, what I wondered, what also made me wonder too, is that they went to school in the '60s. I feel like that was kind of the era of free love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I even made a note, like how, uh, like how many of these. You know, they're their friends. Did, did they like sleep with each other? Did they did? There was a line somewhere about like. Um, you know, I've, I've missed you guys, like the good times, the sex, or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I guess a lot of them have been together at some point. Um, I feel like that's definitely, that definitely happened. So 
Jeff Goldblum. Has he worn those glasses his entire life? <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of his persona. Actually, have you seen The Fly? Did he wear it in The Fly? I, I think, think he wore them. In I the think fly. he did in The Fly. He did not in Jurassic Park. At least not in the first one. I don't think he had no, glasses. No, I don't think he did because he was I, supposed to be cool. Right, right. He was cool, Jeff Goldblum, in that. I think that was the only movie that Jeff Goldblum was cool in. Well, supposed to be cool in. Yes, I wouldn't say he was actually. No, no, no. I, I that's yeah. I meant supposed to be cool in. He he was the cool. Mathematician, right? Right. He right. was a mathematician. Uh, I guess he was a mathematician, right? Uh, some type of scientist park. guy. Yeah, I think it was math, chaos theory, maybe or something. Mm. I don't know. Dyn- I didn't major in math. He was a dinosaurologist. No, no. Speaking of things that aren't correct, how about Kevin Klein's accent in this movie? I feel like I didn't realize he had an accent until halfway through the movie when they're in the jeep going to the cabin. And he's talking to Sam, I think. And I'm like, oh, he has an accent now. I, did I not noticed notice it right that. away, but it, it's not a very good one. I noticed it when he first starts talking um, to Sam when he comes into the funeral. But I, I was just like, uh, I felt like it was kind of selective. It was forced. Yeah. Oh, definitely forced. And I, I didn't know what it was supposed to be. Um, it, it's um, very subtle. I think you would assume that he maybe lost some of the accent by going to University of Michigan. Um, or he gained the accent. Maybe he's not from the air. I don't know. It, I, I don't. It's not mm. probably really important. But yeah, it was kind of uh, kind of always reminded me of. Uh, well, it did remind me of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Blood Diamond. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that, seen I that movie. Not. But he has. Uh, he's supposed to be South African, and he goes in and out of his South African accent uh, the entire movie. It just makes the movie almost unwatchable because he's talking in his normal voice, and then the next scene he has a South African accent. It's that's pretty poor accent uh, accent work there well uh maybe that's why he's not in a lot of movies right now leonardo dicaprio no kevin klein oh i talk about leonardo dicaprio and blood diamond no i got you oh well he's also older so that bringing it back around bring it oh there well hey that's why you're on this podcast uh so i feel like um kind of a theme especially with glenn close's character going through this was how you know alex commits suicide um and a couple times, characters are kind of talking about, you know, why why did he do it? He didn't leave a note. Um, you know, should they have reached out to him? I, I feel like there's a lot of talk about what they could have done to help him. But then Nick, who is William Hurt's character, um, is obviously a depressed person. And he starts getting combative with his friends on the last night uh, I guess it started before then, but it really comes to a head that last night. And he, you can tell he's depressed. He's kind of lashing out. And I felt like his friends are just like coming down on him hard. Whereas, yeah, I agree. you know, it's he, he, he doesn't say directly that he would commit suicide, but he's definitely making hints that like his life is terrible. He doesn't have anything going on. Uh, I don't know. It just made me think like you're just saying how you wish you could have reached out to this friend who was hurting or you wished you would have known. And this friend right in front of you who was hurting, you're like, ah, oh, stop being so like selfish or like so down on yourself. Yeah. I think it, it's funny. I think, uh, he, he's probably the closest to who Alex was. Uh, I think if you look at, uh, well, one, if you kind of look at the, that opening scene, uh, I look like Alex had like brownish blonde hair similar to William Hurt he kind of had the same haircut uh, when he goes to get the jacket it's kind of as if Chloe's like saying to him here are his clothes and I don't right. does he wear the leather jacket I don't remember him putting it on they take but it I, out of the closet yeah I don't know if it's in the sense of because he's like oh I remember when he bought this but I don't know if it was the idea that it was, was going to be his uh, and then him almost taking Alex's place by uh, going to live with Chloe at the end of the movie and working on the house right I don't know. That's I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. In a way, almost as if he was trying to understand why his friend did what he did by kind of picking up where his friend left off. And yeah, I I did think it was interesting that they didn't have the character of Alex leave a note because yeah. I, that allows the other characters to sit there and and be confused as to why he killed himself yeah, and he really was a not, really smart guy evidently he had you know he of his major and he had turned down a fellowship yeah, on a something Rutledge fellowship i'm not really sure what that is if that's a real thing or not but and they were they were even saying how you know he was working on this house and um 
I think Kevin Klein's character says how, yeah, we had just gone out and bought some tools like a, a few days ago. Like if you're planning on killing yourself, why, why would you go out and like buy, you know, buy something for your future that you, you're not going to need. Right. Um, which at when, when they said that line, I'm like, Oh, okay. So they're going to get into like, maybe it was, he didn't really kill himself. Maybe somebody killed him or so. And it uh, doesn't really go anywhere. Um, I felt like the, you know, they should have gone into something, found some reason why, or, or given you a good indication. Maybe this was why. Um, but we never really get that. Um, I felt a little left down in that department. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think that that's kind of what makes it a good, good movie. It's almost like reading a book and it not being resolved at the end kind of allows you, it forces you to one, make your own conclusions or to think about it more. You want to leave the theater or leave watching the movies. You know, I think that would be the goal of a a director's goal or a writer's intention would want you to think about the film as you left. And we don't really know. I mean, we can kind of guess at why Alex killed himself. I think that's what they're trying to. He hated this music. (laughs) I don't think he hated the music. I think if he was in this room, he would be just, you know, along with all of his other friends kind of dancing around. I mean, even Jeff Goldblum, who was cynical about the music is dancing around to it. So, uh, yeah. Jeff Goldblum, by the way, you know, um, I feel like his character was a little, uh, underrated. Um, he makes a lot of jokes through the movie, which nobody laughs at, <laughs> which is a little sad, but he's also like, he wakes up late, uh, consistently. And, you know, he comes out, it's like, I assume it's the afternoon at this point on the one day he's getting coffee. He sits down at the table. They're only Glenn close is there. And he's like, who's oh. definitely hung over from the amount of cocaine she did the night before. He's like, Oh, are we the first ones up? But you've, we've already gone through a scene where they've all been like together and going out and doing things. Exactly. He's, well, I just wonder how much of that is his writer's life of, uh, that's true. You know, not really having to wake up in the morning and go, uh, you know, go to the office. Yeah. He had a couple of good lines. And by the end, on the very last day, I noticed the jokes he makes when they're sitting at the table, people are laughing at. So I was like, oh, okay. They finally, they locked into a sense of humor. Like he's, he's one of the gang. Yeah. Oh, felt, felt better for him. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, and one scene I wanted to call back to, cause I think it was an, it was an interesting scene that I haven't really been able to, if it's supposed to be some sort of analogy or if it was just a way again for us to kind of see the characters um, interacting with each other is the scene with the bat when the bat comes in. Oh, yes. Um, and I think, I don't necessarily have, and it does have, have any other like bigger, uh, it's not like a bigger metaphor to anything, um, but just that it gave us an opportunity to see the friends, like the guys kind of all joking around with each other and teasing each other. Um, uh, and it also allowed Lawrence Kasdan to make a Raiders of the Lost Ark reference. <laughs> uh, Kevin which, Klein whistling the yeah, theme? Yeah, whistling uh, the Raiders March, the theme to uh, Indiana Jones. Uh, because of course Lawrence Kasdan wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh-huh. It did feel like a very Friends, like the TV show Friends scene. Yes, where like yeah. all the guys are upstairs together, all the women are downstairs. Uh, I mean, it's a short. Yeah, scene. you know I, that's a really good point. I, that this is almost like it is. There's there's a lot of com- you could make a, a decent sure. amount of comparisons between this movie and the show Friends. I think a couple other movies too. A lot of uh, what's that British one about the funeral? Death at a funeral? Is that the one with uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> with what's his name? Oh, um, you know uh, the, guy. the guy from Game of Thrones. Uh, I was gonna say the guy who plays uh, Davy Jones in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and in Love Actually. You know, oh yeah. Why can't I think of his name? What uh, uh, movie are you talking about? Is he in Death at a Funeral? It's uh, it's like the. Um, He's the guy who's singing the song in love, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, I know who you're talking about, but... Christmas is all around us. (laughs) I just saw that recently. Yeah, you know, it's like um, they're all at the funeral. I think maybe it's his son who died, and they find out he was gay or something, and I don't know. Well, there's the movie Death at a Funeral, um, uh, and where the father dies... And uh, what the heck is his name? I I can't believe Bill, it. Bill Bill Nye Nye. It's not Bill Nye. Bill the Nye guy. the science guy. Bill Bill Nye. I think. Uh, um. Anyway, it's uh, that movie he's in. But I I felt like some similarities there. I also felt a lot of similarities between this movie and 
Uh, I think it came out like two years ago. The movie This Is Where I Leave You, which was based on the book by the same name, um, which was also a funeral starring uh, Jason Bateman as the main character in that movie. It's more of a comedy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also, I think, his sister-in-law, maybe, like is trying to have a baby and tries to seduce him at the wake. And yeah. Well, like, I mean, I, I you, I mean, you. I've, I'm sure this the, movie. The influenced big chill that. definitely influenced a lot of films. Um, you know, not even just from a plot structure, but from the use of music. I think. I mean, you could almost look at a movie like Almost Famous, right? And look at this movie um, and make some comparisons into uh, like how much music impacts the structure of this film. And I mean, obviously, almost famous is about um, uh, the music. That, yeah, well, yeah, about music, but about Rolling Stone and 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 writing for music. So it, it plays a big point. There's a lot of music montages in that film, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't think you really you you didn't really see music montages done before this movie uh, in the way that Lawrence Kasdan did them here. Uh, I, if you did see music montages, they were not they were done to. Or, um, orchestration. They were done to film score. So you keep saying montage, and I, I don't. To me, I I didn't think anything in this like a mont, except the very opening, getting ready for the funeral, the heard it through the grapevine. That was kind of a montage. But to me, I would think of a montage where the scenes are like cutting from one character to another to another. I feel like you know, and as we're watching the looping DVD menu here, uh, I don't remember what song well, is playing the, here, but they're uh, all dancing together. The camera's not really flipping around well, this, the, yeah this is the, the the scene that's looping is the where they're cleaning up after dinner and that's um ain't too proud to beg is what's what's playing but that that's definitely a montage because there's multiple uh multiple scenes that are cut together it's not the same as a but it's really uh, one scene. There is, there's dialogue and sound effects happening in the background because the song is supposed to be playing to them but it it is showing the passage of time because there's no way they cleaned up that kitchen in two minutes and 45 seconds or however long uh, uh, that right. song is. So I'll give you either that way. We're just nitpicking about the use of the word montage. But um, speaking of cleaning up the kitchen, do you notice all those uh, product placements going on in the kitchen there? Uh, no. Well, I mean, there's the Coca-Cola. Oh, you mean when they get the shoes? Because you got Nike and Adidas. They were also at the, the grocery store. Yeah. I mean, I saw Coca-Cola. I saw Puddin' Pops. Puddin' Pops? Puddin' yeah. Pops. Yeah. Uh, I Miller Light. I don't know if it was Miller, Miller Light. It was definitely it was Miller High Life. Miller High Life. It was Miller High Life. Uh, yeah. Pillsbury, Reynolds Wrap, Clad Wrap, Ocean Spray, uh, all the Nike shoes. They had three types of shoes. They had Nike shoes, Adidas shoes, New Balance. Yep, that's right. They didn't have But New I Balance. think what Kevin Klein is actually wearing when he runs are Saucony. Mm, I didn't notice that. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. And then... I was I was surprised. I don't I don't know if this is a real product. Dryers ice cream. Yeah, I, I, I thought they were supposed to be like Briars. Yeah, I wonder if they. Yeah, I don't think but Briars. Like, is why a, make why throw in the one fake product? They couldn't get the license for it. Maybe maybe Briars held know. out. So either that or Dryers is a ripoff of Briars. A, a real too. yeah a real life ripoff. Right. Um. Yeah, that could be. Boy, I, I've been uh, scrolling through IMDb here while we're talking. And I cannot find that that movie I'm talking about. So I maybe I imagined it. That's possible. Maybe you merged a couple movies together. It's, it's I swear he was in that. Hmm. It's not four weddings and a funeral. It is something like that. Hmm. Ah, well. Interesting. Well, you'll have to get back to us and let us know. Uh, maybe next. Stay episode tuned for that. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's. Uh, well, you have anything else? Hold on, I got a couple got more a couple notes more here. here. Uh, nothing, nothing that crazy. Uh, did you notice that there was a doghouse in the yard? Of the house? <laughs> I didn't know that. No I didn't dog. notice that at all. When they're out in the backyard playing uh, football. There's well, a, keep, I mean, keep in mind that... It's a summer house. It's a summer house, so it, it's possible. I don't think there's anything nefarious going on that there's like a... A dead dog somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, I would hope not. Um, <laughs> unless Alex took the dog with him. Uh, that's pretty terrible. To the, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm still a little hung up on the suicide. I mean, I feel like they, you know, it could have just been that he was in an accident and died. You know, to be a suicide is a very specific thing. Um, well, again, I think it goes to that whole that whole premise. I think that that they're all unhappy with in some ways and in, in, in some ways they're all unhappy with their lives a little bit, you know, and the one person who and I'm excluding 
maybe Chloe from this because you really don't get too deep into her character. Right. She's very uh, superficial right. character. But you could you could maybe say, oh, Harold is the one who probably has the best all things going for him. But his wife cheated on him. So I and true. You know, I, I, I they don't say when she did that. I was I almost got the impression later on that that was before they were married. No, no, no. I that definitely. I, I think it's obviously implied that it's happened while they were married, and okay. it was not that long ago. Um, maybe a year or so, but it wasn't. It wasn't that long. ago. Do you think it was while Alex was living with them? I would assume so, because it'd be weird to then invite him to come live. Yeah, there. I would assume it happened when when mm. they were living when he was living there. I mean, you don't know. He could have lived in that area to begin with anyway. So yeah. Um, but he does. I think he says the word affair. So yeah, um, he did. So yeah, I, I did you know, I that. think I think that's the idea is that, and I think that's kind of when they kind of get all irritated with each other. And you know, Nick William Hurt's character is probably the closest to you know, the, the mental state of where Alex was and Alex was a successful, intelligent person. Um, and he killed himself, but he had opportunities he could do. They talk about all the random jobs that he have. He had, I think like that's the, what the, the reverence at the very beginning. Oh, he was this intelligent guy, like g- brilliant physicist, I think, or, and he's like, Oh, he just had a random career. He did this and he did that and he did this. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think that's just sort of kind of where it's going. The suicide, I don't know that it's necessarily a surprise. Do you think William Hurt's character felt he felt more distraught maybe than the other characters because he was in a job where he his whole the whole purpose of his job is kind of to deal with people who might have yeah, you know, that's a good point some mental issues that they need to talk to somebody about. And his friend knew this, did not reach out to him. Um, I don't know. His friend didn't reach out to him, but interestingly enough, Chloe says right. that she had reached out to him at when one she point. was fifteen. When she was fifteen, yeah, and and got and I guess his advice helped her. She, but that also made me wonder how old is she supposed to be compared to them? If he was already a radio personality while she was only fifteen, it, it, to me, she doesn't look that much younger than these characters. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, no, there must no, be no, a big age gap here. Yeah, no, I I think it's plain as day that she's significantly younger than all the other characters. So I mean, she seemed more aloof than them. That made me feel like she's supposed to be younger, but just based on like, I don't know. Yeah, it didn't seem like it was mu- too long ago that he was on the radio. So uh, for her to be fifteen, she could probably be in her early twenties or something like that. So yeah, overall, uh, probably not my favorite movie. No, <laughs> I don't think no. I'd come back and watch this again. Not. I, I didn't feel really any deep connection to any of the characters. Uh, huh, interesting. I don't know. Also not a big Glenn Close fan. Just, no? Nah. Yeah. No, I, I, I can see that. I feel like she actually didn't have a whole lot of screen time on here. I, it was pretty evenly spaced out, I think, from character to character. Um, but I feel like you don't get a lot of actual dialogue from Glenn Close. You get a lot of, uh, like zoom in on her face eye shots but um i don't know yeah um yeah i don't know i uh, yeah i mean i agree with you there that i don't think she was really used that much compared to the other characters um who do you think had the highest waisted pants in this movie i, I feel like wasted pants um uh glenn close probably i don't know jeff goldblum there was a scene where he's on the phone talking to his boss his pants were i mean they were they were like mid chest level. They were not. He did not have his pants up to his chest. We, I, I think once we're done recording here, we might have to go back and, and watch. It. All right, it was, we'll have to pull. Yeah, see if we can get. They were high, high. All right, pants. we'll have to. We'll have to look at that. Uh, yeah. Just I'm, uh, look, look, look at that. Like those pants. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. We just watched the. Again, we have the the DVD menu looping here in the back, or the Blu-ray movie uh, menu looping in the back, and he did just walk by, and his pants were pretty high, but. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, one thing, how awesome is that, that they get to come and they all got a free pair of like pretty nice uh, running shoes. Yeah. Those are, I mean, like nowadays those, well, those exact models would be hundreds of dollars Yeah, well, yeah. at I the mean, time. Heck. I mean, if you bought a pair of brand new shoes like that nowadays, they're at least a hundred dollars. Yeah. They're uh, all pretty nice, uh, pretty nice shoes. So again, obviously Kevin Klein's doing pretty well off Yeah, uh, to just shell out a couple hundred dollars worth of shoes and he had them driven out to his house by one of his workers. Uh, I mean, you can't beat that. I would argue that he's doing better than Sam's character. Um, 
financially, yeah, I would I would probably say so too. Although he does make a, a comment somewhere during the movie about the two of them being like who would have thought we'd be the successful ones or something like that. As well, they're making the all this dough, I think they yeah, say or something. Not that it's important. To us. Yeah, well, I think they there is a couple points where I think they were trying to hint at the fact that they were these in the 60s they were these like revolutionaries and at one point they talk about sam speaking or talking at one point maybe he was giving a speech at uh, like a rally or something like that Mm -hmm. um and then here they are these essentially these guys just kind of doing a lot of the stuff that they made fun of or looked down upon when they were in college you know being in these like jobs making all this money and when they were in college it was just oh we're gonna save the world and they have all these big dreams and again it's they're kind of looking back at, oh, and they're now with all these people that they were with all those years ago, having all these big ideas and these big dreams of what they wanted to be. And they just kind of look around and see where they are. And, you know, Karen's not happy with her husband yeah. you know, wants to leave him. William Hurt, uh, Nick is kind of lost in his career. Glenn think- Close is sort of unhappy in her marriage. And uh, Tom Berger's character, uh, Sam, doesn't really enjoy so Karen talks to uh, Sarah, Glenn Close, about how she's unhappy with her husband. And uh, Sarah kind of, that's when she like talks about her affair with Alex and says how it kind of, she thought it was going to make them closer, but it mm-hmm. brought this rift into their friendship. And she's kind of like, she's kind of, to me, I got the impression she's almost talking Karen out of this. Like, you don't want to, you don't want to cheat on your husband. It's a bad idea. You know, I did this and like, you know, it it put this rift in my friendship, blah, blah, blah. Then when Karen actually goes to Sam and is basically telling him, yeah, I want to hook up with you. I'm going to leave my husband. And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I don't think we should do this. Two of her friends are, are directly telling her, like, no, don't do this. And she gets mad at him and kind of, like, storms off. Yeah, I, I think it's her, again, they obviously was in love with him when they were in college. And they obviously had a thing with each other. So I think it's the characters kind of looking back at what they could have had or what they maybe should have done and what path their lives should have gone into and looking at it like, oh, I'm away from all these people. I can I can make this change. And, and then they talk they talk about like so they, they do finally end up together. Uh, and then they're talking about like, oh, you know, she she could come up and live with him and bring the kids. But then the following morning, she says, oh, uh. Richard and I can come see you and bring the kids. He would really like that. Uh, and Sam just kind of goes right along with it and says, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, you know, he could bring them to the studio. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so it's like already her, the, yeah. the big talk of the night before is, is already like washed right. out. Um, she kind of got what she wanted and like just moving on. Yep. Um, one other thing I, I think we should touch on because it's kind of throughout the movie is this, camcorder they have a video camera yeah oh yeah we didn't talk about that. um i think sam is the f- not sam uh nick nick William is the first character. person yeah he does his own a little uh self therapy session right um he's recording himself talking right. to himself yeah uh and then throughout the movie other characters are kind of recorded uh and it, later on we do see a scene where they're sitting around watching themselves at least um, Chloe, I think they're watching on the camera. I don't mm-hmm. know if we see them watching the other characters, but I think we get that impression that they were. Um, but I don't think there's any real big revelation that comes through that. I thought it could have been a very interesting device, um, you know, almost where they're all giving personal revelations to the camera, and then maybe that that's something they all kind of watch at the end, and they learn a little more about each other. Um, I don't know. I felt like it was just there. It moved the story on a little, but yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, I don't really get what they was what they were really trying to do with that. I think maybe at the time this movie came out again, like eighty two, eighty three, the fact that people are sitting around with this, I assume that was an expensive camera back then. Yeah, it probably Uh, was. So maybe like watching it as a moviegoer, thinking, "Oh, look at that! That's pretty. That's a pretty novel idea." Like I don't know. No, yeah, I think that's the whole thing. They are kind of doing, it would have been early 80s, so the VHS tape camcorders becoming much bigger so that the novelty, like you said, of just sitting and being able to record themselves and then watch it. That was like a full on-the-shoulder. Yeah, uh, it was a legit video camera. Yeah, 
boom microphone on there and everything yeah absolutely yeah i mean i i was <laughs> i do think it was good though i think it kind of gave you insight into at least the the one part that worked for me was when nick william Hurt's character was doing it and he was kind of doing that schizophrenic or multiple personality right. type conversation that was a little himself. funny it was yeah it was definitely funny uh but you were it, it was a way to understand a little bit more about uh his character uh, kind of have a little bit more detail into where he was, what his life was like. And during uh, that scene, uh, I don't know if he knows it, but we see that Chloe is sitting in the corner of the room listening to him do this. Um, it's not clear that he can see her from his angle, but she's kind of laughing at him talking to himself back and forth. So, I mean, at the end of the movie, we see that the two of them are kind of going to live together for a bit in that cabin. So... There must be some connection there that does not yeah, really. Yeah, and I think, I know, I, I agree. I think there's also the point um, when she, uh, yeah. you know, the scene in which like everyone's Harold and Meg are doing their thing, and Sam and Karen are doing their thing. Right. And she kind of um, grabs his hand and points to like, oh, let's go downstairs to her room, and he's like, well, you know, I can't do anything, and she's like, yeah, she kind of nods. That knowing that they're not going to really be doing anything, right? You know, uh, they're not going to have sex or anything. But, is that, is that so when I think they tried on the jacket too? Is that that same scene? Uh, if not, they're together. I think it, a might, few I think times. it was, but okay. I think that's that connection. I th- and I wonder how much of is how again how much of uh, Alex is in Nick. Yeah, she does say versa. that like he reminds her. Yeah. So I think I wonder if he's sitting on the sofa when he's doing anything thing with the video camera, if she's reminded of Nick mm. and that's kind of where the connection is there is um, that. And that's why I'm sorry that she's reminded of Alex and that's why right. she's Nick reminds her of Alex, right? That she wants to kind of be with him and how they end up together. So. Well, and they both kind of need somebody at this point, you know, her, her boyfriend has just killed himself, but she does not seem affected by it at all. No, which you know, maybe she really is, and we just don't see that. And and uh, or- well, going back, you, Glenn Close is really the only one, other than when um, Kevin Klein kind of breaks down at the beginning. But throughout the film, Glenn Close is the only one who kind of loses it at multiple times throughout the right. movie and cries, and is visibly. I really feel like she's the one who's the most shaken up by his death. Whether that's just because the other characters are holding their emotions inward, or just have gotten over it. Or based maybe because she really, really loved him and just had an affair with him and that's why she's doing it. But I, I did think that was an interesting choice to have her be the only character really, yeah. you know, visibly upset at it, at his death. So, so uh, I guess my final question would be, what's with, uh, what does the title have to do with this movie? What's the big chill? Is it that they're chilling? <laughs> I don't think that's it. Is the big chill a reference to death? Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But the movie's not really about the death. It's about them together, right? I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think you might be right when you say it's about, you know, the big chill is referencing death. But I, I feel like if it is, that's kind of, it's not really what the movie's about. The movie's about these friends. It's about reuniting friendships. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people, as you get older, you think it back to the group of friends you had at one point in your life and what are they doing now? When am I going to see them again? Um, and I don't know, maybe maybe it is. Maybe it's the death of their friendship. Maybe it's yeah, not just Yeah, I think death. that's kind of, yeah. I, I think it's a reference to death. Um, the but chilling also again, of their lives. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's right on the nose. I think that's really what it is. You know, the the chilling of their lives that their lives have kind of reached this point where they're not what they thought they were kind of be. It could be even be like, you know, Oh, I got the chills. Like they, they had a big chill. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't think so. <laughs> I think the, the, maybe it's the big chill is, is a reference to that as kind of realizing sitting there, realizing your life was, has, is not where you wanted it to be and where you thought it was going to be. And well, you kind of sit there and you get the chills. You so, get a cold feeling realizing that your life is nothing. Some, some, one of the women, uh, I don't know if it was Karen, they say something about um, like they're saying something to their kid on the phone. Uh, and then when they get off the phone, they're like, oh, I can't believe I, I just said that. Like, 
like they're such an adult now you know they had said this thing that they they never imagined they'd be telling their kids you know like don't talk back or something and then later on when the police officer um brings nick back to the house and then nick kind of gets in an argument with harold um saying like you know you're all friends with the the police now like and uh he's yelling like yeah you can't behave like that i live here um you know he's protected our house a couple times and you kind of get the impression like who are you like you used to be this guy and like now you're just yeah i I, I think chilled like your life has become well yeah okay you could say that but again i think that's goes back to what he said nick's nick says later in the film which is you don't know me we don't really know each other we knew each other for uh, a short while a long time ago yeah. i've changed and i think that's that's the seen chill. as him re- yeah that's him realizing that yeah i guess i mean hey I, again i think it's the whole idea you you know you're it's it's left up to interpretation i'm sure we could google it and find out that's true we could a, uh, a thing that lawrence Kasten. or if you as the listener has a better idea of what the big chill means please uh, leave a comment uh, on this podcast, uh, let us know what we are not talking about. Um, by the way, we do have our website up and running now. Um, mm-hmm. Criterion on the couch.com. Dot com. Uh, we also have our Twitter and Instagram where you can follow us. Uh, I believe we are. Yeah. On Twitter, we are at criterion couch and on Instagram, we are at criterion on the couch. So you can uh, check us out there. And uh, and I think that's it for this episode. For this week, I think we're going to try to be putting these out every two weeks or so. So uh, look for another episode in two weeks. If you have any suggestions on Criterion movie you'd like us to uh, listen to and review, um, just let us know. Uh, otherwise, we will surprise you in two weeks. All right, all right, that's it. <laughs>